The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. But you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to uh, Colossians chapter 1, and we'll be starting there at verse 15. And we're going to be talking about the supremacy of Jesus this morning. Alright, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 19. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created, that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for our time here this morning. Just open up our hearts to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first statement that Paul is making here in verse 15 is just a, uh, it's an absolutely just incredible claim that much of the world is either confused about or just flat out refuses to accept. And we can look back at verse 13 and really have no doubt about just who exactly Paul is talking about here. Uh, so look back there at verse 13. Paul says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Paul is describing the Son of God here. Paul is talking about our Lord Jesus Christ in the text this morning. And just to kind of get us up to speed here in Colossians, um, it's one of the prison epistles, of course, and it's written to the church at Colossae. And so far in this letter, Paul has finished his salutation. He's, he's communicated his prayers and thanksgiving unto God and unto the church there. And now it's time for him to really kind of start getting down to business here. And that is proclaiming the supremacy, the superiority, and the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And the first statement that he makes there in verse 15 is that Jesus Christ is God. And it's a statement that would no doubt send shockwaves through the Jewish community that rejected that truth and still does today as well. It's a statement that uh, would no doubt ruffle the feathers of the Greek philosophers of the time and others who... Um, had their own ideas and opinions about just who Jesus was. And it's a statement that people today, they still struggle with, uh, believing in our society. And um, I'm reminded of a conversation that Jesus had with the disciples when he asked them, who do people say that I am? And if we were to go out today in Roner Park and, and take a poll or, or a survey or something like that, who would people say that Jesus was? Uh, if you asked everyone on your street who Jesus was, or, or for maybe they could, uh, if they could describe Jesus to you, or maybe even just to tell you anything at all that they might know about Jesus, what do you think they would say? Well, there's a, uh, a Rasmussen report that got released recently that found that 86% of American adults believe the person known to history as Jesus Christ really did walk the earth 2,000 years ago. 86%. But if I had to guess, 
even though many people believe in a historical Jesus, I would say that most people differ just on how they view Jesus, who he is, why he came, and what he came to do. And I think that if you went around and you asked the people on your street, uh, you surveyed them, you would hear a lot of different answers. People would say that Jesus was uh, a great man. Maybe people would say Jesus was that guy from the Bible. I've heard that one before. Or uh, people would say that Jesus was a miracle worker, or maybe even that he had supernatural abilities. Uh, you hear all those type of answers. And maybe people would say other things. They would say um, he was the person who, who, who really loved people. Jesus really loved people. Or he was the person who healed the, the sick and gave sight to the blind. And while all those statements are correct, there is one statement that's even more correct and even more foundational and essential to what we believe as Christians. And that's the statement that Paul is making in our text here. And that's Jesus Christ is God. You see, people, they may accept Jesus as um, a great man, maybe as a prophet, maybe as a great moral teacher, maybe as someone that no doubt came from heaven. But when it comes to accepting Jesus Christ as the God of all creation, absolute and supreme in all things and over all things, and in him alone is salvation possible, well, sometimes that's a little too much Jesus for people. And uh, it's, it's a problem today, and it was a problem then as well. Uh, in the time that Paul writes this letter, there was false teaching, and it had spread, distorting the truth of just who Christ was. Uh, and it was been done by these, these Greek philosophers, the legalistic Jews, the mystics, people into angel worship, and others who claimed that there, were, there was either much more or much less or even none at all is needed for salvation when it comes to the person of Jesus. And we find the truths of who Christ is distorted today as well. Uh, we find it in the teachings of the Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, and others. Uh, even so-called evangelical churches today, uh, some of them will deny his completeness and his supremacy alone. And we all know people. We know people. We talk to people. We work with people. We have family that, that may have grown up or, or are in or have been in some of these different types of organizations. And the deception that people are under about who Jesus really is manifests itself into all these false belief systems. Um, these systems are spoken, they're taught, and they spread just like a cancer that infects the hearts and the minds of many who claim to be Christians. And these people will ultimately end up in hell if their eyes aren't open to just exactly who this person of Jesus Christ is. And like I said, we all know people like this. And there's no doubt who's behind the deception. Satan, of course, has lots of experience when it comes to propagating the distortion of truth concerning Christ. Um, I think Satan's first purpose is that he desires to keep men and women from coming to salvation that's found in Christ and in him alone. So he really just has to confuse you about one person, and that's Jesus Christ, in order to assure that you'll be lost for all eternity. The um, Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, says that if our gospel is hid, it's hid to those that are lost. And then if you look in verse 4, we can read that it's Satan, the lowercase g, God of this world, that has blinded the minds so that they will not see the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And that's what Satan wants to do. He desires to blind the hearts and minds of people concerning Jesus. 
Satan wants to keep them uh, from really seeing, really comprehending who Christ is and just what he accomplished when he was crucified on the cross and rose from the dead. And you say, well, maybe why is that? Well, because if you're in the dark about the person of Jesus Christ or the work of Jesus Christ, then you cannot be saved because there is no salvation in anyone else. John 14, 6, Jesus says that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one will come to the Father but by him. And, uh, and Satan wants to, he also wants to stunt the growth of those who have been born into God's family by faith in Christ, uh, and he does that. He wants to stunt the growth, even of us in this room, so that no more truth goes out about who Jesus Christ is. And, uh, and that's pretty much how the devil works. He tries to keep people in the dark concerning who Christ is in order to confuse them and lead them away from a life that is uh, simple and pure devotion to Christ. A couple of years ago, there was an uh, Oprah Winfrey episode. And just for the record, I don't watch Oprah, so <laughs> let it be known. Uh, but I did, see, uh, I did hear about this and, and watched it on YouTube. But there was an Oprah Winfrey episode where Oprah stated that Jesus can't, can't be the only way to God, insisting that there were multiple paths. In her own words, she said, there couldn't possibly be only one way. 7.4 million people watch her show every single day. Well, there is only one way, and the Bible tells us that it's through Jesus Christ. So it's crucial for us to make no mistake about who Jesus truly is uh, as well, and to not only believe it, but to be able to go out and, and to proclaim it and to share it with those uh, that are in the dark about it. And today, I think Paul, he, he's, he describes the glories of just who Jesus is for us in relation to three different areas in our text. And, and all three of these are just extremely important to what we believe. So let's look at the first one. And the first one, if you've got a uh, listening sheet or an outline, the first one is Jesus in relation to God. Jesus in relation to God. So it's a common belief out there today, and, and a false one at that, that there's, that there's God Almighty, and then there's, you know, separate from that, that there's Jesus. There's God being supreme, and Jesus is he's somewhere below that. And many people have this type of viewpoint of Jesus, that although he may be considered uh, inherently supernatural, he's still a couple uh, rungs down on the, the spiritual ladder, so to speak, from God Almighty. Now, people out there have lots of uh, ideas as well about God and, and who God is, and many people will worship a part of God or just a part of his creation. Uh, we find that the Hindu thinks that God is a cow, um, the American Indian uh, may believe that God is an eagle. The ancient Egyptian sees the awesome power of the sun and says God is the sun. And each culture sees glimpses of God through his design, but all miss the total picture, and they do so because they're blind. Their hearts have been blinded, and so is all of unsaved humanity. So what did God do? He came and he dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ. Even his name, his name Emmanuel, means simply that. It means God being with us. Now, there's many spiritual groups out there that, that want Jesus to, they want to include Jesus, they want Jesus to be part of, of their system or their religious system or their philosophy. But the problem is, is that they want Jesus on their own terms and they want to be able to define Jesus and not according to scripture. 
And if I had to guess, I would say that many in that, that 86% Rasmussen poll that I spoke of earlier um, want him on their own terms as well. They want to define him as well. Uh, and they want to define him in their own way and not according to Scripture. And in doing so, uh, usually at best, they make Jesus prominent, but they never make him preeminent. Uh, they take away from the completeness of who Christ is, and then they fill in the holes and the gaps with like uh, just, just other junk. Uh, he may be important to them in some way, but he's not supreme. He may be prominent, but never preeminent. Uh, the Jehovah Witnesses, mentioned them a minute ago, they don't deny Jesus. In fact, he's uh, important in their belief system, but they've made up their own Jesus apart from the revelation that we have of him in Scripture. He's not preeminent to them, and he's not supreme. Uh, the Mormons, to whom Jesus also is important, are deceived as well. For instance, they believe that uh, Jesus and Lucifer are brothers, and that Jesus' sacrifice was, it wasn't able to cleanse us from all of our, all of our sins. So good works are still necessary for salvation, which of course is the opposite of what we find in Scripture. Uh, Christian science, for all you Tom Cruise fans out there, um, <laughs> believes that Jesus is not the Christ, that Jesus is not God as he himself declared. Jesus did not reflect the fullness of God. Jesus did not die. There is no devil and there is no sin. Uh, Islam... Uh, Islam doesn't deny Jesus. Islam says Jesus was a great prophet, second only to Muhammad. But he's not God, and he definitely wasn't crucified for the sins of the world. Now, in all these systems, Jesus exists, right? He has a role. He may even be a prominent figure. But if you notice, he's never preeminent. He may be important to agree, but he's never superior. And if these false religious systems are guilty of doing this on, on a large scale... I think that the danger is there for us to do it on a much more smaller and much more personal level. Um, and just, just to think for a second in our own lives, uh, if you think about this, do we make Jesus important but not supreme? Do we make him prominent but not preeminent? Is he only a part of our lives? Is he only a portion of our lives? So it's just something just to, uh, you know, I think it's profitable for us just to, to, to kind of do some self-examination with that and just to ask ourselves those type of questions. Um, and moving along here, verse 15, Paul writes, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? So if you're doing the listening sheet thing, uh, letter A would be the image of the invisible. And when we think about the word, when we think about the word image there, what does that mean? Well, of course, it means something that we can see, right? Something that's visual. God being a spirit is invisible to us. We can't see him. Scripture affirms this in a number of places. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17 says, Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible. Uh, again, in John chapter 1, verse 18. But this time we get a glimpse of this invisible God in relation to Jesus, uh, it says, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Notice there that the Son declares the Father. The, uh, the visible Son represents the invisible Father. Jesus Christ is the representation or the, the manifestation of God 
God the Father. And John and Paul alike here, they didn't, they didn't just dream this stuff up. They're simply restating what Jesus said about himself. Uh, and if you look at John chapter 14, verse 9, we find a conversation between Jesus and Philip. And, and look at what Jesus says here about seeing the Father. And John 14, verse 9, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? So God made himself visible to human eyes by the incarnation, the manifestation of Jesus Christ in the flesh. So uh, turn over to John chapter 1, verse 1 real quick. And everybody probably already knows this verse, but go ahead and turn there. John chapter 1, verse 1. And John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the first verse there, John's Gospel, we read that, In the beginning was the Word, and it was with God, and it was God. So, we obviously can conclude that God and the Word are two and the same. We'll skip down to verse 14. And verse 14, and the word, and we can even substitute the word God there, because according to verse 1, they're two and the same. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word, or we could say God, became flesh. And back to our text today in, in Colossians, that's what Paul's saying. He starts off with this powerful statement to set the stage for the rest of his letter by declaring Jesus Christ as God, the image of that which is invisible. But then he goes on, he goes on to say, uh, in letter B there on your outline, that uh, he's the firstborn of every creature. The firstborn of every creature. And the word firstborn in the Bible has a couple of different meanings. It can, of course, be literal, like we might find in Luke chapter 2, where Mary wraps Jesus, her firstborn son, in swaddling clothes. Uh, it can be used figuratively, as we find in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, where Israel is referred to as firstborn. And also, it's used to designate supremacy, like we find in Psalm eighty-nine twenty-seven concerning David. Uh, although David was, was the last son born to Jesse, God says that he will make him the firstborn and the highest of the kings on earth. And this is the same way that Paul is using this in the first portion here of our text. He's talking about honor here. He's talking about supremacy uh, over all of creation, describing Jesus as the firstborn of every creature or creation uh, there in general. It has nothing to do with being the first created being as some in Colossae might say, and even many false systems today might have you believe. But it has everything to do with Jesus being supreme and superior over all that is in creation. And I think that leads us to the next observation, which is two on your outline, and that's Jesus in relation to creation. Verse 16 and 17. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now, if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, we read that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created them, and by his command, out of nothing. 
So there was nothing. There was nothing, and God spoke, and the universe sprang into existence. And what Paul's saying here in the text is that the one who did that was Jesus Christ. And the Apostle John tells us the same thing in John chapter, four, chapter 1, verse 3, where he says, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So everything that was created was made by him, and nothing was created apart from him. And when we take a moment to think about or, or reflect about creation in general, it's, uh, it's kind of big, right? I mean, it's kind of big. The earth is almost 25,000 miles in circumference. So that's pretty big. And, uh, and Jupiter is 278,000 miles in circumference. And the sun is 2.7 million miles in circumference. And there's another star that they found in our galaxy that's actually 300 times bigger than the sun. And to think that all of this is a small part of our galaxy which contains planets and countless stars just like these, and then our universe is believed to be made up of billions of galaxies just like our own, the fact that Jesus Christ spoke the heavens into existence should absolutely blow our minds. I mean, it's just incredible to think about that. And Christ is the creator of all, the heavens and earth and all that is in them. Uh, Did you know? Do a little did you know here for a second. Uh, did you know that there are 800,000 cataloged insects? And since I've moved out to California, I realize that 600,000 of those are spiders. Um, but they're all created by Christ. There is no limit to his creativity that is seen in creation. And not only did he create and does he s- sustain all the big stuff, but the small stuff too. Uh, I'm sure everybody in here has played around with magnets before, and you know that with magnets, the like charges repel, and the opposite charges attract. Well, did you know that the atom, which is the smallest unit of matter that we know of, it has, this, it has a nucleus, and in the nucleus, it's filled with protons. And uh, in the protons, they all have positive charges, and they're all packed in there real tight together. But guess what? They all have the same charge, but they don't repel. Do you know why? Neither do I, and neither does really anyone else, but Christ does. Jesus knows, because not only did he create all these things, he sustains them. And going back to the time of creation, uh, if you're around there in Genesis chapter 1, you can look at verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Notice the plural tenses there, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. They were all three there, the Father, the Son the Holy Spirit, but as one, the Trinity and the Godhead. So Christ is the creator, but not only is Christ the creator of creation, he's the point of it all. He's the point of creation. Uh, Our text in Colossians says, all things were created by him and for him. So not only was everything created by him, but it was created for him. Everything was created through Jesus. Everything was created for Jesus. All of creation is for his good pleasure. And when it comes to people... This is what drives prideful men and women crazy. That they were created for something other than their own pleasure. They were created for a purpose other than just themselves. And creation, it puts each and every one of us under the authority of Jesus Christ. This is one of the reasons, um, if not the main reason, why people love the lie of evolution so much. Because it puts man at the center of his own universe and not God. 
Uh, man puts his uh, uh, unsaved man, will, he'll put his hope in any alternative to him being created by and for the good pleasure of Jesus Christ. But the reality is, is that's why we're here. You want to know the secret of life? You want to know the meaning of life? That's it. We were created for his good pleasure, not ours. We were created to glorify him. And some people may say, well, I don't like that. But it doesn't change what's true. And also, you know, the problem with you and I being in charge and being our own little self-gods is that it never works. And the reason it never works because we weren't created for that. We were designed, we weren't designed for that type of purpose. We were created to be in fellowship with God Almighty. That's our purpose. To enjoy Him, to worship Him, to glorify Him, to be content in Him. John Piper often says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And when we think that we have some other purpose apart from God and we run out and we we try to satisfy ourselves with everything that the world offers, with money, with popularity and indulgence and everything else, it never works. It never works. And it never works because we weren't designed for that. We weren't created for that. We were created by him and for him. And the sooner we understand that, the sooner we can start living out our true purpose here, and that is to glorify God with the lives that we live. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 10 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. And I don't want you to miss verse 10, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth. Well, that pretty much includes everything, right? Jesus has supremacy and superiority over everything on the earth, all people, everything in heaven, all the angels, and everything under the earth, the devils and the demons. Jesus is supreme above all things, and they were all created by him and for him, and that includes you, and that includes me. And I think that kind of leads us into the next observation here. Point three, Jesus in relation to the church. Verse 18, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So the next thing that Paul uh, makes very clear here is that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, the body of those elect believers in which, for those of us that believe on him, are included Jesus Christ is the head. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So if Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and we're part of that church as the body of Christ, then we must submit to his rule, we must submit to his authority, and to his lordship. Just as the case with our human bodies, there's a, a oneness between our head and our body, or at least there should be. And the head gives energy and action to all members of the body. It directs, it leads, it guides, and so forth. And there's an intimate relationship there between our heads and our bodies. So is the case with Christ and the church. 
But how often do we find people, even people that claim to be Christians, that claim to be part of this body of Christ, that kind of, they, they lack that connection with the head? Um, people that don't submit to what he says, not fully believe what he says, even rejects part of his teaching. Maybe he doesn't take what he says about himself seriously. Uh, people that are more concerned about worshiping self. And when we do this, we're not submitting to his authority as believers, but we're only submitting to our own authority. We make ourselves supreme in our own lives and not Christ. And there's many churches out there and many people that claim to be part of this body, but they've substituted his teachings, his words, his expectations for things that are more suitable and more acceptable and serve their own interests. And once again, this is the kind of stuff that was going on in Colossae at the time. And while Paul is, is saying what he's saying here in the text, Jesus is supreme over the church. And as, a, and as believers in the body of Christ, he is supreme over us as well, and we must submit to him and his words concerning us as part of that church body. Uh, our text also says, Colossians there, chapter 1, verse 18, that Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. There's that word again, firstborn. This time it means first one. He's the first one to be risen from the dead and to never die again. Others have been resurrected, but have later died in life. Uh, Enoch and Elijah, they never tasted death. But Jesus was the first to die the death of a man and to be raised from that death and to never die again. And that's just another way. That's just another way that he is in all things preeminent. He is to be unsurpassed, unrivaled, first in rank, dignity, honor, and power. Um, he's to be preeminent as over the universe, which he has formed by him and for him, as chief among those who shall rise from the dead, uh, as head of the church. And also, he's to be preeminent and supreme in the affections of his followers. In other words, your life and mine. And all the fullness that exists in him pleases the Father, so there is satisfaction. There's satisfaction there in the supremacy of Jesus. Verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Uh, Albert Barnes describes this type of fullness well. He says that in him there should be such dignity, authority, power, and moral excellence as to be fitted to the work of creating the world, redeeming his people, and supplying everything needful for their salvation. So we ought to never be confused about just who we are dealing with when we're dealing with the person of Jesus Christ. He is the, uh, the image of the invisible God. He's the head of the church. He's the creator, the sustainer of all things. He is supreme above all things. He is preeminent in all things. He is Jesus Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we should never be deceived about that and to buy into that, that common lie and those, those uh, false truths that are out there or, uh, where people say that uh, he was just a great man or just a good prophet or, or, or anything less than Christ being what he is. Um, Colossians chapter 2 verse 9, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So we are complete in Jesus Christ. And people will say a lot of things about him, who they think that he was, what he supposedly did do, what he supposedly didn't do. But if you want to know the truth of who he really is, you look no further than his word. The Bible is God's revelation to us 
uh, about who he really is. So that's where we find out. Uh, not the Oprah show. Uh, he's God, and that took the form of a man. And he came to give his life for us. He came to give life, give it more abundantly. He came to save sinners, sinners like you and like me. So do you truly know the real Jesus today? I hope that you do. I pray that you do. And if you do, go tell somebody. Go share it with somebody. There's so many people that are confused and blinded about this. So go share the real Jesus with somebody. We are complete in him. Uh, nothing more and nothing less. Let's uh, close the word of prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We just thank you so much for, 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 for Jesus Christ, for what he did for us. Uh, we're just totally undeserving. We just thank you so much for him, Father. We just ask that you would open up our hearts uh, to the message in uh, the next hour, Father. Just, we just pray that everything that we would do here in this church would glorify the name of Jesus Christ. We ask it all in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.